Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Big show for you today, and I mean big, as in offensive line big, big guest for you today. Duke Mannyweather is going to join us a little bit later on the show. Duke, of course, Mackay Becton's trainer. You don't want to miss that interview. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and give a five-star review on Apple as well. Also, you still have some time to take advantage of the best deal of the year here at The Athletic, $1 per month, but you need to be fast. The Black Friday deal runs out at midnight on Friday. You can get it. Go to theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast. Connor, are you excited for this interview coming up later? I am, yeah, because I want to figure out what the hell Duke did to Makai Becton. I mean, this guy's having like a season like I've never heard or seen before. You know, occasionally you do have offensive linemen that begin a season and basically just kick off their NFL careers and they hit the ground running. You know, Quentin Nelson was one of those guys where there was just no holdback. But a lot of times there is an acclimation period. You know, when you're in college, very rarely are you going up against players like the Bosa brothers every other week. And, and seemingly every team but the Jets has an elite level edge rusher and every Sunday that elite level edge rusher wants to try his hand at getting by the mountain that is Mekhi Becton and and every single lineman that tries to get by Becton can't like we saw with the boat with Bosa with the Chargers where he's on one side has a go at Mekhi Becton says I'm done with that I'm gonna go rush against uh, Fant so I'm kind of curious because Becton was a guy that was considered uh, a little bit of a developmental project somebody that was going to take some time to learn to play with his size his athleticism his speed his strength and there has been no acclimation period. This is a guy who's the, I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, he's the pro he's the leading pro bowl vote getter for, uh, for, for offensive tackles, which is obviously big amongst fan voters. He's a guy who, if he's already here, if he's already leading, he's probably going to be in the pro bowl. He's, he's earned rave reviews from teammates, from the coaching staff, from everything. And he credits a lot of what he's been able to do so early in his career to Duke. So I'm kind of curious what he's, what Duke has seen from him, what he's worked on and what he plans on working with him this off season. And just how big he can get uh, in terms of talent-wise, not necessarily size-wise, he's probably done growing. I think he, he's going to top <laughs> out at six seven. But the other thing it'll be interesting to talk to Duke about as well is he also trains Cameron Clark, the other uh, lineman that the, the Jets drafted, who we haven't seen on the field yet, uh, and just trying to get a little scouting report on him as well. So that's going to be fun. I think it's coming around like 7.30, right, is when we're going to chat with him? Yeah, if you're tuning in live um, and in the chat as well, get some questions in. If we run out of stuff to talk about, we'll get some of your questions into uh, to Duke as well. Uh, one of the silver linings of what has been one of the darkest seasons in Jets history. We have a lot to get to before that, though. Duke will be on it, like you said, around 7.30 um, as we record this live on YouTube. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about, well, well, we may get to the Raiders. I'm not sure we're going to get to the Raiders. Maybe we we kind of bail on the games at this point and talk about other stuff. But one thing we have to talk about, Connor, is Adam Gase today. Uh, he spoke about Sam Darnold. He spoke about his failures with Sam Darnold. Marissa, do we have that audio? We do. 
I came here to help him, help him develop his career, and we haven't been able to do that. You know, that's why these next – every game is so important. Keep trying to help him grow. Keep trying to help him, you know, develop and, and see things the way that he needs to see them and, and, you know, play the way that I've seen him play in certain games. You know, at the same time, that it's that's what's frustrating sometimes about the quarterback position is you do need 10 other guys to do their job as well. Um, you know, it's just like when he throws one of those really good balls and, you know, we have a drop, It's that's frustrating because – it doesn't seem like a, a big deal, but for us right now, it's like one little thing and, and you know, it stops a drive and we got a punt. Like those things, it's it's like the momentum shift. It's carrying throughout the game. You know, we need to do things well, you know, around him. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's on me to get him to play better than what he's played. You know, right so far, I haven't, I, I mean, I haven't done a good enough job. Connor, I have some thoughts, but since you asked the question that led to that uh, great answer from Adam Gase today, I'll let you start. Were you surprised with the, I mean, you always say Adam Gase is honest. He certainly was there. Were you surprised with how honest he was in that answer about pretty much admitting failure to a degree here almost two seasons in? Yeah, I, I think it was, you know, because Cos was actually the one that teed it up because he started talking about, um, Brian Costello was the one who kind of teed it up because he started talking about uh, uh, Sam Darnold and this season not really being what he wants. And I, I realized, you know, I don't think Adam's been asked. Like, look, I remember during that Jets coaching search in 2017-18 and when, when they hired Adam Gase two years ago, I remember during that coaching search, the Jets kind of kept saying, like, oh, we're looking for the right coach. We're looking for the right coach. We're looking for the, the perfect head coach, yada, yada. But it was always with the and the right guy for Sam Darnold and the right guy to get Sam Darnold to the next level. I mean, Adam Gase, make no mistakes about it. The Jets hired him because they believed he could be the coach that would take Sam Darnold from the guy who threw six touchdowns, one pick and had almost a hundred quarterback rating the final four games of his rookie year to Deshaun Watson, Pat Mahomes, Jared Goff, these upper echelon of quarterbacks. They wanted to find the coach that was going to take Darnold to that next level. And that's why they were interviewing Cliff Kingsbury. That's why they were interviewing Adam Gase. That's why they were interviewing um, LaFleur, the guy who went and signed with the Packers. I mean, they wanted that offensive-minded guy, Mike McCarthy, the offensive-minded guy to get them to the next level. And they hired Adam Gase because they believed he was that guy. And you look at Sam now, and while he improved in most statistical categories last year, he didn't take the jump last year. And now this season, He's regressed in basically every way imaginable. You know, he's completing under 60% of his passes. He's got three touchdowns and eight interceptions this year. He's got a quarterback rating in the 60s. He hasn't thrown a touchdown pass since September. And I know he's missed a ton of time, but still, what quarterbacks go four full starts without throwing a touchdown? You know, he's thrown for under 200 yards. I think it's in five of seven starts. I mean, this is ridiculous how far back he's gone when he looked like a franchise quarterback two years ago. I mean, Sam Darnold as a rookie was playing better than Sam Darnold is now. And I think when Gase answered that question, I, I, I expected him to be serious or uh, not serious. I'm sorry. I expected him to, to answer the question honestly, but I also, I think I expected more excuses than what I, what he said. I mean, I expected kind of more of like the, well, he just got back from the shoulder or, oh, well, you know, he had mono last year or more that I, I expected more of that. And instead that was probably about as honest as we've ever heard 
Adam B. And and he legitimately, basically, I mean, I shouldn't even say basically, he did. He came out and said he failed in, in that he realizes, basically, he said, I was hired to make Sam Darnold franchise quarterback, and I haven't done that. And I was hired to take this guy to the next level, and I haven't done that. And Sam Darnold, under me, has gotten worse. He's regressed. He is worse now than he was under Todd Bowles and Jeremy Bates. And I don't really know why. I'm trying to get it better, but it's true. I failed. And I think that what that was and what that symbolized in a way was realization setting in across this Jets franchise. And it starts with the top with owner Christopher Johnson, who's going to pull the plug on Adam Gase after this year with Joe Douglas, who realizes that he's got his work cut out for him with Adam Gase, who realizes that he has not done the job that he was hired to do. And his time is coming to an end. And eventually with Sam Darnold, who's going to realize that, that his Jets career in the Sam Darnold era of Jets football is coming to an end. And, and this was a, a wholesale change. And I, I think that to simply blame all of Sam Darnold's regression on Adam Gase is, is lazy. I think it's, it's uh, naive to do that because this isn't all on Adam Gase. I mean, it, it, it is a large portion of it. I mean, Sam not getting any better is on Adam Gase, but this was a Jets franchise failing Sam, as we've said, and Adam Gase is a big piece of that. I mean, Gase wasn't obviously the one that ignored the offensive line the first two years uh, with Mike McCagnan drafting. He wasn't the one who never went out there and got playmakers for him. I mean, he wasn't that guy. He's never had control of the 53-man roster absent that like one-month stretch where he was the interim GM and he traded Darren Lee. I mean, he's never had that. So this isn't all on Adam Gase, but this was also the very first time that we've heard Adam Gase accept blame as far as like, yeah, I'm one of the people that failed this kid. I was supposed to get him to the next level, and I didn't. Yeah, and when Adam Gase gets fired at the end of the year, the number one reason he's going to get fired is because of Sam Darnold, more than likely. The one thing that did, you said he didn't really make excuses. He did throw that one line in there about, you know, when guys drop passes on third down. and saying that. Like, he, he basically said, like, that. I mean, that's a thing, guys drop passes, but to be perfectly honest— I don't remember that much, that happening that much. Other than Chris Herndon this year, yeah. there hasn't been a lot of drop passes. So to throw that excuse in there now was was kind of silly. But for the most part, he he took the blame. Hey, he said it, um, and it seems like there's just a realization there that that the end is uh, is drawing near. Um, it's yeah. you know good. Yeah. No. I I like honestly. I don't. I don't fault him, and I I don't I don't necessarily fault him when he does provide those excuses because I I rather. I'd rather hear that because it kind of like it does provide some kind of information as far as what he's actually thinking and and how the actual structure of this team works. You know, it's one of those reasons where like, you know, you ask a player why he's struggling. Every player he's never going to say, except for Mo Wilkerson, that one time where he came out, he goes, yeah, my foot's broken. Uh, they're never going to say like, I'm hurt. I don't feel well. I'm not doing the job. You know, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. Like no player is going to do it because they don't want to make excuses because they're programmed to be these players that are just warriors and every, no, like if something's wrong, tell us what's wrong. Let's get the information. Let's figure out what's wrong. And, and with Adam, I think with him saying that I don't always fault it because he's constantly the guy that provides like the, the reasoning, like he, he's basically saying we haven't had the playmakers to do it. You know, we've never had, I've never had the roster that I felt was, was capable of winning these games. And, and now I think the the one part where he's actually probably hitting like coming back down to earth is that this was the week where you had Perryman and you had Mims and you had Crowder and you had everyone. And 
you still dealt with all those problems and you still dealt with all those issues and you still dealt with all of these, 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 this plague that is killing the jets. I mean, this is like, you still dealt with it all. And Sam still played poorly, despite the fact Joe Flacco had success with that same group. So I, I don't mind him, him giving those reasons. I don't mind him saying, this is why we're struggling. This is why we're hurting. This is why this is wrong. And this is, this is, I, I'm fine with all that. It was just more, I think, the the way the way I when he answered that question and he really went into detail on those questions that question, the way that I took it, honestly, was that this is a guy that just realizes the end is near. That there is no more hope in Adam Gase's mind that he can save his job. There is no more, I think I can do this. You know, we went out, we run the table, I'll be back next year. There is no more Sam is gonna be this team's franchise quarterback. I know it. None of that is there anymore. What is there? is a coach that realizes he's got five weeks left and then he's gone. He's coaching a quarterback that has five weeks left and then he is gone. And that when this Jets team eventually turns this around, it's not going to be with Adam Gase on the sideline. It's going to be Eric Bieniemy. It's going to be Harbaugh. It's going to be Doug Peterson. It's going to be somebody else out there on that sideline. When this team is, is making a playoff run and potentially getting to the playoffs, it's not going to be with Sam Darnold in their center. It's going to be Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. And all of this money that Joe Douglas has worked so hard to accumulate, it's going to be used to benefit the next coach and the next quarterback and all these draft picks, the next coach and the next quarterback. And I think Adam Gase has finally just come to the reality of it and accepted it that this is kind of over. And, and now what you're hearing is the honesty and the um, accountability to be able to say, like, like I said, he was hired to make Sam Darnold franchise quarterback. Sam Darnold is now going to be gone four years after the Jets draft him. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, time to move on to our special guest on this edition of the Can't Wait Podcast, Duke Mannyweather. His company is OL Masterminds. He deals with some of the best offensive linemen in the game of football, including Jets rookie Makai Becton. Duke, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, really appreciate it. I'm excited being on, and uh, we've been trying to do this now for a couple of weeks. So yeah. thanks again. <laughs> yeah, we're all we're all synced up now. So we have plenty of questions, obviously, about Makai. But first of all, I want to hear about how you got to this point where you know you're in the you have this business where you're basically training the best offensive linemen in the world. Um, how did you kind of climb the the ranks to get to this point where you've made this business for yourself? That's a great question. And um, I love to answer it because I get it, I get it uh, posed to me all the time. 
And uh, it's really been a process. So what people are seeing now is 10 years of deliberate practice, maybe over 10, yard, 10 years to be exact. Um, um, I started off as a college offensive lineman, and I kind of had a knack for just being a, a coach, like a player's coach on the field. Uh, for me, that's what I had to rely on. I had to rely on how hard I trained. I had to rely on how hard I worked in the weight room, the physical aspect of it, because I was an undersized offensive lineman at just at six foot and I was 300 pounds. So I didn't have the elite length and athleticism that other people did, but I was able to be strong. I was able to be uh, very knowledgeable. Uh, my mental processing and all those type of things were always on point and my technique was down in. That really set me up on the trajectory to get into coaching right away. So I was fortunate enough to have a brief stint in the Arena Football League and it was something that uh, really stuck out to me and I'll never forget it. Uh, my offensive line coach, when they released me, Jim Beverly, he said, you know what? I'm going to tell you something that you've probably heard your entire football career. You're a good football player, but you're fighting genetics. He goes, but he goes, you've got a natural knack to lead people. He goes, and still teach people how to, how to get things done. He goes, you need to pursue that. Just so happened before that, uh, before I signed with the Arkansas Twisters Arena Football League, what ended up happening was I had a college uh, uh, program, College of the Redwoods, um, offer me an offensive line and run game coordinator position. And I didn't take the position right off because I had this grand idea that I was going to play arena football and my football career is going to be, you know, I don't know what I thought. I was living in a delusional world, though, really, is what it was. Um, but after I got released, the next day, nobody knew I had got released yet either. I mean, like this was in 2009, so or maybe even 2008. The social media wasn't as relevant where, you know, nobody cares about arena football like that. But just so happened, Coach Dave Banducci called me the next day and said, hey, uh, I know you're playing right now, but we've still got that O-line job and run game coordinator position open for you. I know you're a young guy, but if you want it, it's yours. We like what you're doing. I said, Coach, perfect time. I just got cut. Like, I want the job. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I was not even a year out of college, and I had my own offensive line room. Um, I was in charge of strength and conditioning. I was also in charge of, you know, coordinating the run game and the protections and all those type of things. So there was an extreme amount of pressure that was put on me, but an extreme amount of learning that I did, even from the veteran coaches. So that took me into, at that time, I was pulling double duty. I was an assistant strength and conditioning coach at my alma mater, Humboldt State University, underneath the legendary Drew Peterson. Um, Drew has just been a phenomenal mentor to me, uh, taught me a lot about the business of strength and conditioning, training, and people, really. Um, so I was pulling double duty. At 6 a.m. in the morning, I'd be in the weight room at Humboldt State. I would drive 30 minutes south um, down to Eureka, California, and uh, pull my duty for, uh, you know, College of the Redwoods, being their offensive line coach and run game coordinator. I did that for three years. I was then given um, the opportunity to take the defensive line coaching job at Humboldt State, my alma mater. So I was pulling double duty there. I would do strength and conditioning and then also be the D-line coach. So being the D-line coach really got me into a different mind space in terms of I knew as an offensive lineman, as an offensive line coach, the grand scheme of what we were trying to accomplish. So it allowed me to talk to the defensive lineman that I was coaching and training hey, this is what they're trying to do to you. This is how we're going to counter it. So it was a different perspective. But then when I got back to the other side of the ball 
it gave me a whole new world because I knew what D linemen were looking at. I knew what, you know, the different defenses and the coverages meant in terms of where gap responsibilities were. And so it allowed me to be just a touch more cerebral with how I was coaching and training guys on the offensive side of the ball when I went back. Um, I started a website named Beyond the Combine. Um, and Beyond the Combine was really cool because it was the only website that specifically scouted offense and defensive alignment. And so that's all I did is I scouted offensive and defensive alignment. And I did it from my perspective. I did it from my perspective of traits, um, characteristics of technique, and then what I thought their imbalances and capacity for development was. And I did it like more in terms of movement and the body structure and the mechanical advantage and all those types of things. Um, that garnished the attention of some people. I ended up taking um, a job down in Arizona working with, at O-Line Performance. Charles with Charles Bentley. I was down there for a couple of years as director of player uh, personnel and lead performance coach. Um, that didn't work out for me. Um, you know, we went our separate ways and then took a couple of consulting jobs within the NFL. And then I started my own business. I always knew I had a knack and I knew what my passion was. Every morning I woke up, I knew what was going to fulfill me. And that was really advancing the offensive line position. And so I never stopped learning. I still to this day always keep learning and has really put me on the trajectory to, to do what I do now. And I was fortunate enough to have, uh, you know, players trust me early on in their career. Um, you know, guys like Mitchell Schwartz and Jeff Schwartz and Jeff Allen and Lane Johnson, Brian Winters, they used to play for the Jets um, and uh, Jeremy Parnell that played for the Cowboys and the Jacksonville Jaguars, Ronald Leary and Teron Armstead. And it just continued to grow word of mouth and not so much word of mouth, but what we end up seeing is the product and the time that I put into these guys. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the NFL and offensive line is about production and the guys were going out there staying healthy and producing. And so that's what really has garnished the attention of, I think that a lot of people are starting to see now with the O-line masterminds and a lot of the stuff that we're doing that has become a little bit more mainstream. Duke, I think uh, right after Makai had been drafted, I remember talking to him but like this now because of, because of the world we're living in, we were talking to him via Zoom, and, and you were one of the first people that he shouted out. You know, we were asking him about his weight. We were asking about different questions. He goes, no, my Duke's got me right. Duke has me right. Duke has me right. So when did Makai actually get in contact with you? How did you find him? How did you guys start working together? I mean, what, was, what were those initial interactions like, and how did you, you guys come together? Yeah, I'm really good friends with Makai's uh, – former uh, college offensive line coach, Dwayne mm -hmm. Ledford. Me and him are really good friends. And uh, we would text all the time. We would just talk life, talk football. And I said, I, I talked to him when he got the job at Louisville. I said, the 73 kid looks like he can be pretty special. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, he had a good spring. You know, let, let's see what happens. First game rolled around. I said, man, the 73 kid looks pretty good, <laughs> man. You know, we'll see what happens. The third game, I'll never forget the third game, I got a text message. And I think it was again, I can't remember who the game was against, but he texted me. He said, We got a monster on our hand. And, and he was right. And uh, from that moment on, I think, um, you know, I kind of was telling Dwayne kind of what I saw out of him, some areas that we need to improve and correct. Uh, but Makai was a little farther ahead in terms of technique wise than people gave him credit for. I think, I think that was a lazy evaluation and uh, a lazy narrative that a lot of people were putting out there during 
the draft time. But um, to be honest with you, now that I think about it, today is December 3rd, uh, 2020, and me and Makai started working on December 3rd, 2019. Um, He he didn't play in his bowl game last year, and um, so he was down in Dallas. And shit, man, he never left. He never left. Uh, You know, just kind of how the world – uh, you know, kind of came to a screeching halt, halt. but um, we worked all the way through, man. And, uh, you know, I think just the connection with Dwayne Ledford, um, I think at that point um, it was very clear that, you know, that relationship kind of fostered and catapulted. It didn't matter who McCoy going to end up signing with, that he wanted to come out here to Dallas and be a part of what we were doing, that he entrusted that we would have his career and, uh, you know, be able to elevate his game. Um, to make that transition to be, um, you know, not just a good football player, but to be one of the best ever potentially. What were your initial impressions of him when he first showed up? You actually like you, you've known him through through Louisville now, but now you're actually working with him. You know, now you're trying to help him get better. I mean, what were your first impressions? I know everyone at the Jets that that at, when Adam Gase, Frank Pollock, I mean, literally everyone talks about this kid. They say he's big. But like aside from that, I mean, you're 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 working with offensive linemen. You see big a lot. But what were your first takeaways from him? He was different. He was different, and that and that's what I kept trying to tell everybody is that uh, yeah, Makai is big, but people want to compare him to Trent Brown. He's not Trent Brown. People want to compare him to uh, you know, gr- um, I think Greg Robinson and some yeah. other. He wasn't. He was different. Uh, what you saw with Makai was a 6'8", almost power forward looking type body that happened to be 365 pounds. And he had a ton of muscle on him. He was lean for being 365. Um, you look at you look at him even in his jersey now, you're like, oh, he's a big guy. But like in regular street clothes, you can't tell really like how lean he is until you get him in like tight workout clothes and you're like, oh man, this dude put together pretty well. Um, you know, so the the impression with him was like, man, this dude looks like that golden era offensive tackle, like your Jonathan Ogden mm-hmm. and your Orlando Pace. But then he moved like your Lane Johnson, your David Bakhtiari, your Teron Armstead. And when we first started working with him, we noticed that one, he asked a ton, a ton of questions. Um, two, he was always willing to take criticism um, um, early on. And I mean, making the transition from how he trained to what we were doing down here was difficult for him because he had the high ankle sprain that he was working through. Um, You know, he had some imbalances that that created. So he needed to get back and get healthy first. Um, Just, you know, dealing with that last season that he played at Louisville and then he made that transition. Um, so as we went through the combine process, it was about four weeks in where we're like, ooh, <laughs> all right. So we kind of knew, but like now we know. And then what I noticed was that not only did we keep getting better in terms of movement quality and technique, but then all the weight room stuff started going this way. Um, all the running stuff was like ridiculous. Uh, the KPIs in terms of the uh, true power index and some of the stuff that we were doing were ridiculous. Some of the force plates were ridiculous in terms of what he was registering. Some of the weight distribution, 
symmetrical and you know asymmetrical and start to balance back out. And those are all key performance indicators of somebody that's coming into balance and really starting to peak and come into their own for what we were trying to prepare him for. So around four or five weeks, we knew, ooh, we have something special here. Um, and uh, sure enough, it's kind of what you saw at the combine, a special performance. And I still think we left some meat on the bone there. Duke, uh, we have, just so you know, we have a chat that goes on while we're doing this, and you have completely won over Jets fans, and they'd like you to do the O-line coach next year uh, if you're available. <laughs> no, but... <laughs> so, so I, here's the thing. I know Frank Pollock. Frank Pollock is a really good coach. Yeah. So don't get don't get clouded with everything that's going on right now, Jets fans. I can tell you this: um, there's some people that have played under Frank in the past at various teams um, that have collectively and separately told me that they wish they were still playing with him, yeah. um, playing for him. Yep. And there's some really good players that have told me that I'm talking about some really good players that have told me that um, just as recently as a couple of weeks ago. So don't let that uh, skewer you. You know, I can't take, sit here and take credit for uh, Makai and what he's doing. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Frank Pollock and, uh, you know, Derek Frazier are still doing a tremendous job developing that young man every day in the building. You mentioned the leanness of him, and I was going to get to one of the questions that actually came in in the chat was, uh, this one's from Dan Poffin, but he said, you know, do you think he can play a long career, his whole career at his current weight, or do you think he does need to drop 10, 15 pounds at some point along the way? Um, that's a great question. And again, like I said, Makai is different. He's an outlier. You can't, you can't put him in a box. With that being said, though, I'm a firm believer that Big guys have to do any and everything possible to take care of their body. And a lot of times that means offloading of the joints, um, especially the feet. So um, the focus is always going to be to get him in his leanest state. All right. The body is meant to perform optimally in its leanest state. So for Makai, um, that really, it's really figuring out what that number is in essence with his body fat. I mean, because at the combine, he was, uh, 363 pounds and he was at 17% body fat. Mm -hmm. And I mean, <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard to say, all right, you need to lose weight. Um, it comes a point when you chase a scale weight number, um, what ends up happening is performance starts to decrease. Mm -hmm. Now, right now with the season going on, who knows where he's at? I'm not in the building with him. I can't say where he's at. Um, but I know as soon as he gets here, the focus is going to be to make sure that we're continuing doing any and everything that we need to get leaner. That way he's keeping that performance, um, you know, at a high level. And I think there's still a lot of room for improvement and things that I see. You, you kind of mentioned where you were, you were talking about how, you know, he's got Ogden size, but then he's also got the, the athleticism kind of, a, of Elaine Johnson. So when you have someone who is that big, that strong, that athletic and can run the way he does is he almost like like an alien type thing where, where you're where you're looking at yeah, the guy just he is. he's an outlier and that's why i keep saying like people you can't sit here and say oh well what about this what there has been you can't name anybody not even ogden all those guys you can't name none of those guys that possess with what you're seeing out of 77 and i'm talking about the combination of that size length but then all the other traits that he has. There's nobody that there's nobody in the game right now that possesses that. 
there's absolutely nobody. And so um, that's important to realize for me as somebody that's going to be important and key to his development is that we got to find out what the exact recipe is because we've got all the ingredients. All right. And so with myself and Makai and the Jets, we're all co-chefs here. Okay. We've got the ingredients. Now we need to find out what the recipe is to make it extremely consistent. Okay. Once we make that recipe extremely consistent, consistent, what normally happens with restaurants when they do that, they can do what? Franchise. So that's the goal. That's the goal is we've got all these ingredients. All right. We're all co-chefs. We need to find out what that recipe is that's going to breed consistency. And then we can franchise at that point. Because at that point, that's when we're bringing it all together. Um, and that's when we know what works for him. One of the big things that my big thing is, I try to make everything so individualized to these players. Mm-hmm. And we find out what their strong suits are and we build out from their strong suits. So many people talk about, you know, we want to uh, go and we want to improve weaknesses. Okay, but here's the thing is you can pick out some areas of improvement in Makai's game, but those aren't weaknesses because strength and offensive line is a foot is, is is a strength from him, you know. Football, offensive line specifically is a strength from Makai. So there's areas of his game, there's areas of everybody's game that we can work towards. But to me, you gotta funnel in on those strength zones and let those strength zones start to build around and enhance with those areas of improvement are, you know. So that's the key thing when we're starting to develop guys is to figure out what, how can we take what they do really, really well and what, what makes them unique and what makes them special that enhances with an area for improvement. And so that's what's going to be another focus this offseason. I guess building on, on that a little bit, I mean, last year you're getting him ready for the combine. You know, you're getting ready to test. Well, now that he's in the league, I mean, what is that area that you see where you're like, all right, this offseason – we want to work on this with Makai. We want to get him to this point. You know, what is that? Is there something specific where you're like, all right, this is going to be the point of emphasis. I've got a list of things. <laughs> uh, and, and if you ever get a chance to talk to him, you could talk, you could ask him about the text messages that I send him typically in game that he sees as soon as he gets to his locker. <laughs> um, but, um, and I'm, I'm hard on him. I mean, they're probably the reason why he raves about me Um is probably because most days he wanted to kill me from <laughs> December to <laughs> December to August, to be honest with you. Uh, but that, but that's most guys. I mean, like we work hard. It's a competitive environment, especially with the type of guys we have around. Um, but I'm going to push these guys hard. And I always tell, I mean, cause these guys, there's, there's workouts where I'll hop in and do it with them. So it's not, um, it's not like I'm barking out orders. They know that if I'm telling them something, it's, particularly for their best interest. And that I'm not going to tell them nothing that I can't do. And so I think that that lends a, a level of credibility for them too, when things get extremely tough and they see me doing them, they're like, Oh shit. Well, if this dude's doing it, then, you know, uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta hop in. So um, I think that's going to be an area. I think also just the overall approach, you got to realize Makai is really young as well. He's 21 years old. So they're still, um, areas that which when he turns into a man um, that are going to enhance his game. Because w- one thing that we try to do here in Dallas with Oli Masterminds and everything that we do with our development program is 
we try to build out leaders, build out men, and that typically takes care of the football player. That always the football player is easy after you build out the leader and the man. Um, you know, being a beacon of uh, you know leaders into their building, into their own line rooms, being a man of the community, being a man amongst family, doing the noble things. Once you do that, that's going to set you on the trajectory to take your development and your craft and all that type of stuff serious. Um, so, you know, you talk to him about technique, you talk to him about strength, you go through all that work with him. Then he gets into this season and it's it's a struggle for the team, right? They're own 11. Is that something that you um, talk to Makai about too? Just the, um, yeah, all the, the tough stuff like that? All the time. So um, part of, I'm, I'm really big into the mental performance part. We've got a uh, perform, high performance psychologist, um, sports performance psychologist, let's say Gary Fraser that works with us. Um, so he's like my personal guy. Um, and he also works with a lot of the guys. Um, but when he's not working hands on with a guy, he'll give me some tidbits that I can relay. Um, and he's got a pretty good pulse of, you know, current events and kind of the league. And so he's always watching things and we're watching everything from body language to social media to just trying to really figure it out, putting a piece to the puzzle, being investigators, being detectives. That way we can know how to approach a person and get them to listen. Because if you don't approach a person right, you catch them at the wrong time, they're going to automatically shut you out. So in order to really weigh in and really give guys the feedback that they need to stay um, focused, especially in a difficult time now, is I told Makai just recently, I said, in times of adversity, in times of displacement, you've got to adapt, you got to improvise, and you got to stay looking forward. All right. A lot of times when you start to lose control, you try to overcorrect against the skid and you spin out of control. So in this type of in this type of day and age with everything that's going on in society, what's going on with the Jets, you got to go with the skid and understand you got to accelerate through it. That way you're always looking forward. So we always try to make sure we're giving him the mental tools to kind of deal with what's going on right now, because it's not easy showing up and losing no matter what. And at the end of the day, um, you have to take an approach of I've got to do my job to the best of my ability and not worry about anything else. It sounds easy, but I can understand how difficult I've been on a losing team before. But I, one of the things that I did and I've suggested um, is that find something to get better at every single day. Pick a part of your game that you want to improve on that wasn't so clean or crisp in practice the day before, and you take that in. You start to do that every day over the course of a week and over the course of a season, you've gotten a lot better. So never, uh, you know, never shun down an opportunity to get better and never let the negatives magnify to the point where it's stopping you from impeding progress, from gaining progress. Just uh, two more quick ones for you, Duke. Uh, the last one on Makai is, is you've not seen him. You, you've worked with him pre-combine. You're going to work with him after the season. You've seen what he's been able to do his rookie year. I mean, what is this kid's ceiling? Does, does he have the ability to be the best in the league? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we kind of had that conversation right before he left for training camp. Um, we said, hey, listen, man, you know, this year is going to be different. No off-season program, uh, you know, which actually probably worked out um, really well for him um, because he was 
uh, he was able to be around guys like Teron Armstead and, you know, Ron Leary and some of those veteran players that uh, really got him mentally prepared for what an NFL season was going to be like. Um, and that's what's important, um, too, is that when people talk about, oh, he's pro-ready, a lot of guys could physically be pro-ready, but if you don't know what to expect in the mental aspect, then you can be swimming real fast. So that's a cool thing that, you know, he got to experience from December until almost August. And then with it culminating with O-line Mastermind Seminar, when you got 60 guys um, sharing best practices. But to, to make a long story short, um, I think that you've got a guy that if he stays healthy and he continues to progress, his trajectory of how good he can be can be very, very special. One of the best of all times. Because as I said pre-draft, as I said at the beginning of this show, um, he's different. Um, the things that he possesses are special. But with that type of potential, that potential has to be worked toward being realized. And so it's still a lot of work left. As I gave you the analogy, we've got all the ingredients. Now we've got to find that recipe for consistency so that we can franchise it. And um, that's really what's going to be the key for him moving forward. Last uh, last one for you, Duke is is the other Jet that you're you're working with is Cameron Clark, the a kid the Jets drafted yeah. in Charlotte hasn't hasn't seen the field yet. Uh, someone the Jets are kind of taking a little bit of their time with. I think the injury that he suffered in camp probably put him back a little bit, you know, behind the eight ball. But you've seen him more than any of us have because there was no preseason, there was a condensed training camp, and he's been banged up. So so what do you think of Cameron Clark? What what might the Jets have there? Uh, and I think they drafted him in the fourth round. Cam Clark is going to be a guy that's going to be able to play all five positions across the board. He's tough. He's strong. He's smart as hell. Very cerebral. Takes his craft very serious. He's a guy that's not going to make a mistake over and over again. You're going to have to correct it once, maybe give him a tweak twice, and he's going to continue to, to, to build upon that and put together um, good reps. Um, you know, coming from Charlotte, he was physically dominating at left tackle. Uh, probably some of the best tape I've seen against Clinton. him and him and Makai probably had some of the best uh, film against Clemson I've ever seen in terms of their physical dominance. Um, so Cam is a guy that is a true pros pro uh, in terms of how he's going to approach his development. And I'm excited to see him. Uh, eventually I noticed that he has been suited up the past couple of weeks. So you got to figure that he's getting close to maybe making an appearance um, if need be, but I definitely could see him uh, playing either guard spot, hopping in at a tackle spot, and eventually, you know, maybe even at center. Um, he's got these huge-ass hands, 11-and-a-half-inch hands, uh, you know, and just the, the thing that I love about Cam is he always had so many great questions that he wanted answered. And then not only when you answered them, you saw him immediately almost apply them. And then things in which you answered and gave him a suggestion, he would take it in, he would process it, and then you could see him – still live out that answer, but then tweak it and make it his own. That's a really cool thing. That is a, that's a guy that is going to go uh, very far in the business um, with doing that. So I'm excited about Cam uh, and what his potential could be as well. Great stuff, Duke. It's obvious that uh, Makai is in good hands with you handling the training in the offseason. And, um, you know, keep up the good work with OL Masterminds and everything that you're doing. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, Marissa, thank you. Thank you. Um, I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate all you uh, reaching out to me and finally aligning on this. I know, like, as I said, we tried to get this done. Um, last week was a little crazy with the holiday. and This week, my front end was very loaded, but uh, 
much appreciated. Thank you, guys. Thanks Thank for tuning in, man. I appreciate it. No problem. All right. That's Duke Mannyweather. His company is OL Masterminds, as you can see behind him if you're watching on YouTube. But Connor, just awesome stuff from him. And, and it was great to hear really the full, I guess, anniversary story because it was a year ago basically today that it uh, it all started between him and Makai Becton. But taking us through the whole process of of getting up to the draft and the combine and, and what he saw from him. And I mean, you can see why guys love working with Duke. He's just the energy is there, and and it's just great. Well, I think I think it was pretty fascinating to watch, or or I should say, not say watch, but listen to him talk about how he was getting Makai ready mentally, as yeah. well as physically and all that. He wanted to make sure that that he was ready for what the NFL game was going to be like. You know, he was going to be ready for what the NFL game was going to feel like, and it wasn't necessarily about having the physical tools because the moment that Makai Becton stepped on a football field, college or NFL, he was going to be one of the biggest. He was going to be one of the strongest. And he was going to be one of the most athletic pound-for-pound uh, pound guys on that field, but that didn't mean anything if he wasn't mentally ready. And listening to what Duke talked now about what he did for Makai this offseason – it kind of goes hand in hand when we were talking to Adam Gase during the during training camp. You know, we'd ask him about Beckton because we'd see Beckton make this insane play where in camp he'd get to the second level and pancake Neville Hewitt, you know, or he'd he'd get out there and be running with Marcus May down the field, pushing him out of bounds. And and you had corners taking dives because they didn't want to get hit by him in practice. And and Gase said they kept giving more to Makai. They kept putting more on Makai's plate. They kept trying to do all these different things with him and, and just throw more and more at him. And at no point was he ever swimming. And I remember hearing that quote from Gates that this is a guy that just is not swimming. He's, he's, he's being put so much on his plate and he's just taking it all in stride and nothing is ever too much for him. And now you're seeing why, because in the off season, he goes back, probably takes a little bit of time off and then he's immediately in the lab with Duke and, and he's getting him ready. And the fact that he's been able to do this with Makai to this point it makes you feel uh, pretty good about when Cameron Clark gets a chance to get in there that the Jets might have something have something there as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, good stuff from Duke. Um, let's move on because we have to make our picks. And, Connor, things are falling apart for you. Another yeah, goose I, egg last week. You're in last place in these picks. Under You're, you're not even – you're under 500 now for the year. You're losing money for the season on these great, picks. Guys. It's great, It's not, is, it's it's not good. <laughs> I started nine and one too. Like that's Who the amazing part. Who says 2020's been bad? Who says 2020's yeah. been yeah. bad? Connor's got, in last got, place. What more could we ask for? <laughs> I should probably stop this whole like doing my picks in the middle of the show and be. Oh, like, that's I how, make that's my how. picks in the middle of the show too. Do okay? you really? Yes. All, all right, the there time. we go. I make so my picks like thirty seconds before we start. So don't like pull that. Like, oh well, I'm making my picks late. That's why they're not good. Yeah, just, 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 he's got to bet, bet against me now. That's, that's where we are. That's where we're at. Um, you guys go first. I'm going to, I'm going right. to look You're going to actually make now. your picks now. Well, I was going to say yeah. last week, I mean, we've talked week after week about the Seahawks bandwagon and riding the Seahawks this season and how mm-hmm. good they've been. And me and Marissa went with the Seahawks last week for the win and you avoided them. Got to get back on the Seahawks bandwagon. But Hunter I will, and I uh, did have a close one. Um, that yes. Chiefs game. Uh, yes, that's true. They won by three. And we had them at three and a half, so that was a little rough because so they Marissa were blowing out and the Bucks, and yeah. that last second touchdown really hurt me from going three and zero. Yeah, it would have been three. It and made o. Connor so, go zero and three, so, so it was worth like, it, right? Yeah. So you'll take it. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, I'm, I'm terrible. Just bet against me. I, I didn't even. You know what's funny is last week I thought I was pretty confident I was going to go three and zero last week because I literally didn't bet the games. I was like, I'm in such a rut. 
I'm just not even going to touch these games. I'm just going to bet them, like put them in parent and not put my money on it and watch. This will be the week I go three and oh, nope, went oh and three. So at least <laughs> I saved myself some money. Yeah, learned a lesson. Uh, all right, I'll go first then as you get your picks in. Um, I'm going to take the Saints at Atlanta. I know uh, we still kind of seeing what the Saints team is without Breeze. It's been good so far. Uh, minus two and a half. I'll take them on the road. Uh, Patriots pick them, the rare pick them game at the Chargers. I think the Patriots showed a little something last week with the win over the Cardinals that Connor was wrong with. Um, I'm going to stick with the Patriots. I think they're going to, I mean, it's just Belichick, right? They're going to push this thing so they're at least in the hunt to squeak into the playoffs in week 17. Um, And to get there, they need to win games like this. I think they do. And then finally, uh, the Bills minus one at San Francisco. I'll take them. Marissa, go ahead. Well, I'm going to go with the Saints minus two and a half as well. Um, So, you know, I produced the athletic football show and we talked a lot about the Lions Bears games this week that there's a lot at stake on both sides of the ball. Poor Robert Mays, by the way, with the Bears right now. Yeah. So this is the first game that the Lions are playing without Matt Patricia. Um, That seems like forever ago he was fired, but they played that Thursday night uh, Thanksgiving game. So I think the Lions are going to come out uh, looking pretty good after after this. So I'm going to go Lions plus three versus the Bears and then it's rough for Carson Wentz and the Eagles these days and uh, playing the Packers this week. I just, I mean, so Packers minus eight. Is that what you got that line? That line's yeah. actually, that line's going up now. So that's, everyone's on the the, the uh, Green Bay bandwagon, but I am going to follow your lead there is that oh. I do love, no, nah, I, that, that Philadelphia Eagle team is, is reaching a jet light le- level of dysfunction. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole, the reports that came out from like NFL network and ESPN about how oh, we're going to see Jalen hurts, right? Like right. Jalen hurts is going to get the playing and he came time. in Jay- on second and nine, like <laughs> yeah, had it, had it off sides. Right. Cause the snap yep. that cadence mm-hmm. was off. So somebody jumped, then yep. he completes a six yard pass. And then, then they bring in Carson out. for the third down Yeah, on, on third down. Then he gets sacked. And then they yep. ended up putting the only other time we saw Jalen hurts was when he came in to run the same play that the Eagles have run three dozen times, yep. which With is Carson like the read option. The yeah. 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 So it was like, what, what yeah. is going on? And then the, the going forward on fourth and four, when you're down, what is it? Nine or 11 or whatever. I mean, watching that. There's game, been a lot of talk about their play calling too. So. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, like I've, I've been saying, I haven't watched too, too much Eagles football, but when I heard all this stuff about all oh, the Eagles might move on from Doug Peterson, it felt like such a rash reaction because this was a guy that, I mean, we can actually probably make a whole podcast about this next week. It's well, we got one. It's called Birds with Friends. What? Yeah, where's <laughs> that? Where Where do you listen <laughs> to that podcast? Yeah, where do you listen yeah, to that? Like, podcast network. Like, <laughs> never heard just, it. Just, never heard so, of it. Do the re- sort by viewers, then reverse it, and then you'll find Birds with Friends. So just we'll, we'll go with that one. <laughs> Uh, but no, so we, uh, I, I think that like, I was like, Oh, just hire Doug Peterson. And, and that was my take was like the giant. I mean, this is a guy who his first year as head coach didn't make the playoffs, then won a super bowl was going to the NFC championship game. If all Sean Jeffrey didn't drop a pass the next year, Carson Wentz gets hurt in like the first quarter against the Seahawks. They lose that game only by nine. I think it was, or eight, something like that it was like a one possession game. I'm pretty sure. And now they're having one bad season. The Eagles are going to fire Doug Peterson. I was like, go out and get the guy. Like he'd be perfect for the jets watching that game oh boy there were some decision the issue is they wait yeah. they they had a second round pick on jalen hurts if you're right. gonna yeah. well that's not peterson if you're that's, gonna, that's how right. that's yeah how but works, if you're gonna take peterson. the guy in the second round you gotta see what he can do like yeah. it's not like you have just some backup like he was well, right and he's such a pick. you know and they bring him in and he's the athlete right that you can do right. different things with he's not they've just the quarterback necessarily they've done they've done nothing 
Yeah. So I am going to take Green Bay. It's it lines up to minus eight and a half. I'm going to take it at Marissa's line, which is oh. minus eight, because I just think that I, I think Philly's a disaster right now and it's getting ugly and it's only going to get uglier. And that game's also at Lambeau. So it's yeah. probably going to be cold and it's just Carson Wentz also does not strike me as a quarterback who handles criticism very well. He's not somebody who rises to the occasion, but I think he comes back down. So give me Green Bay minus eight. I like that line a lot. Uh, the other one, I'm always nervous with an East Coast team going West Coast, but the Bills Ryan. are good, man. Oh. And and no, it's Bills. No, the I, I'm staying away from that one. That that spreads way too thick, and I just don't like touching that anything <laughs> over ten, unless it's the Jets. I don't I don't want to touch that. <laughs> uh, but Bills minus one at the 49ers. I mean, well, I'm it's, not. It's at Arizona. It's not oh right, yeah. Not that it yeah. would matter because yeah. there, was, like, the there was no fans anyway. In Arizona. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For a second, I was like, "Wait, the Bills aren't playing the forty? Are you playing yeah. the Cardinals?" No. So give me. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, I like Josh Allen. I like that offense. I like that defense. I think the Bills can taste blood in the water with this. Uh, with with the Patriots, he's got to redeem himself for that right last now. time he played there. You know, that was the Hail yeah. Murray. So yeah, Hail Murray. Of- yep. <laughs> give me uh give me the bills minus one i, I like them against san francisco i think i, I san francisco is starting to get a little healthier but again they i just i don't trust that team right now although i think shanahan is an unbelievable head coach i think they're just so injury depleted that with a line that small give me that one and then the other team which i think is an absolute catastrophic disaster is the dallas cowboys i don't care if they're home i don't care if they're on the road when you let alex smith put a whooping on you i mean the guy can't throw more than 10 yards and he's playing on one leg like I just, they're done. And the Ravens should have, I would think they would have Lamar Jackson back. Uh, give me the Ravens minus seven and a half uh, against, against Dallas. I like that one. So uh, Green Bay minus eight, all favorites, Green Bay minus eight, Buffalo minus one, and then uh, Baltimore minus seven and a half. All right. Good stuff. One comment real quick from the chat that I just saw is you got to see what your second round pick can do unless it's Christian Hackenberg. Had to get that one. <laughs> good stuff from the chat. You don't want to um, read the comment that says Marissa's just burying Connor today. I like yeah, I did one. see that one. I saw them. I saw I saw Marissa's Connor's daddy too. I saw that one. <laughs> I'm so I was waiting for you to read that one. Marissa's Connor's daddy. Yeah, I like that one. All right, that's gonna do it for us. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for to Duke Mannyweather for joining us. Great interview with him, kind of inside what's going on uh, with Makai Becton, who looks like he's going to be an absolute beast for years to come on the left side of that offensive line. You still have time to get the best deal of the year here at The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast. Just $1 per month. So $12 for the entire year that runs out Friday, I think at midnight Eastern. So you're running out of time if you want to jump on that deal. Theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast we will talk to you after the raiders game yes we managed to get through an hour-long podcast and we didn't even talk about the game that's coming up (laughs) on sunday have a good night everybody hey football fans this is diana rossini from the athletic get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest nfl newsletter scoop city Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.